Welcome to IDIQ Labs, the podcast where we deep dive under a microscope and explore the ever-changing landscape of personal and financial wellness. Brought to you by IDIQ, an industry leader in identity theft protection and credit monitoring products. We got another exciting episode today, so let's get started. Well, we got Jeff, Rick, and Mike here. We're talking about uh, credit card hacks and um, and really credit card payment strategies, uh, how to manage your finances the best way. Uh, if you are going to use credit cards, we are, I don't think in any way, advocating that if you uh, are not a responsible credit card user that you should just go out and start using credit cards. Uh, maybe Rick might advocate for that because it, it does help his side of the business um, <laughs> yeah i would advocate through, for that through cre- credit use your credit education. cards at identityiq.com yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh but yeah we want to we definitely want to make sure that that we we talk about how to use credit cards wisely as well as um as anything that that if you are using credit cards there are some really cool ways that you can use credit cards um so with that I think we'll just jump in. Jump I feel in. weird because usually I'm in the middle. <laughs> you don't in know between two people. You don't know how to deal with this. Yeah, I don't know what to do. I feel all out of sorts right now. So we've got Jeff remote today, which is uh, a treat. Um, he's taller than us now. He is t- and bigger. Yeah, he's huge. Is the yeah. treat because I'm remote or because I'm here? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's an excellent question. That's, yeah. Let's, let's move on from that. Yeah. <laughs> we'll answer that at the end. Yeah. Um, I was thinking about this. And uh, do you know the difference between a transactor and a revolver in as it pertains to credit cards? I we I think we actually t- discussed that on on this, but you should. <laughs> <laughs> did we? When did we discuss that? Yeah. Oh, uh, when we had your uh, a Luke on. We were oh, talking about when, first, our first credit Luke. cards and stuff. Are, are you a transactor or a revolver? Um. Well, I, I'm a transactor and a revolver. I have multiple cards, so I I transact. Well, no, no, no. A, transactor right? means you you pay your balance off all, all at once. I, yeah, every, I know. You pay your balance off all at the end of the month every time. I on two of my credit cards. <laughs> on two of my other credit cards, I don't do that. How many credit cards do you have? Four. I just told you. Two, two, two and two. <laughs> but what about your like? Don't your kids have cards and? Uh, my kids don't have cards. They're authorized users on my card right now. Okay. Um, I think that's what we were talking about is how to build your credit. Yeah. What uh, about um, like you have businesses and stuff? Do you have, does the four count mm-hmm. for your business cards too? Uh, it does not. No. Okay. Uh, but with those, it is more of a transactor for sure relationship. Yeah. Like don't don't want to rack up debt on a business credit card. I saw that. Yeah, definitely not. I saw that if, that the average amount of cards per household is four, like you, and I have four also. Really? <laughs> yeah. That's that was that struck me as odd. I figured I had more than most people with four. I thought that was feels like a high number. I had five for a period of time. I had because I, Discover was doing like a zero. Jeff's probably going to talk about uh, this, <laughs> this is maybe as a strategy or what not to do. But I was. Uh, I was moving balances around to lower interest and discover had a, one of their interest, you know, low interest rate introductory things for six months, 0%. So I moved mm. my balances over to it and then we paid it off. 
and um, and then left it unused for I don't know like eight months, and they just they shut it down, no warning, just closed it. That's closed in one of my strategies. Yeah. How to avoid that? <laughs> How to avoid getting shut down? Yeah. So I had five for a period of time, but now back to four. How many cars do you have, Jeff? I have five. One's my corporate car. So I have technically four in my own name as well. Yeah. If That's I were to count my corporate card, it'd be five. Yeah. 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 The, you, by the way, Mike, on what you just said, we should we should chat either later in this session or one on one about with your with your sons because one of the things I did with both of my my children who are now 24 and 22 is as they were graduating from high school and going into college, not just getting them set up as an authorized user, but it's that whole credit building strategy. And by the end of their freshman years, both of them had credit scores that were north of 750. And it's you can do this wisely without taking on debt um, just by how you use that card every month and treat it like a debit card and and with low limits and get them to just, you know, spend ten dollars a week, pay it off as soon as they 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 spend it. And it's amazing what that will do within a short period of time to build your credit. Yeah, that's that's great advice. We definitely have not. We've talked to them about opening up their own own uh, credit cards. One I pro I could trust to pay that balance off every month, and and one of my sons I I could not. He's the 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 one my youngest son. He's the guy that went and spent like $3,000 on Snap-on tools uh, on my that card. Story keeps coming up. On my card. <laughs> oh, I'm bitter. I'm still bitter. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah, uh, but yeah, I think that that's that's good. I mean, what so what kind of credit card would you suggest um, for like college students to start with? You know, most of them, the money center banks and others have, I mean, student built credit cards. They're low fee to no fee they're you know low amount of credit lines but the interest rates are low to start unless you trigger by not paying something off and then they go up and you can get them with limited no credit card checks and again i mean whether it's a money center bank whether it's a capital capital one or others like that there's just lots of options for them that you can be in control of and monitor and watch what their spending habits are. Um, but just set, you know, get them a line that's $500 or something where they can only cause so much damage. Um, yeah. Give them enough, you know, rope to hang on without choking themselves and, uh, and just teach them good spending habits. And again, get them to set it up where they, they act like it's a debit card and they get in the habit of, of buying something and paying it off not waiting till month end, not having that amount accrue. They have this balance that all of a sudden becomes unattainable that they can't pay or afford and they're they're reaching out to you. And it's just, but there are different credit card options built for students. And that's where I would start. Um, yeah. And again, So are you saying that they have like- Wells Fargo, they all have them. Pardon me? Are, are you saying that they have like specific <clears throat> tools available that are different or just the fact that the rates and limits are low? Like, rates and limits uh, are off. low. 
there's, you know, they can, they've got a lot of rewards in there too that are literally geared towards students. They even reward students for, you know, giving them money back or using things that they can, you know, getting that money back that they can apply towards things for school that rewards them for on-time payments. And that's, that's really, I think, the, the focus of them. It's trying to teach them the right credit utilization strategies and habits, more importantly, which gives them a reward for paying on time. How would Low you fees and cash back type of options and rewards for good behavior. How about uh, when, when uh, the credit card company starts giving auto, the automatic uh, increase to their credit? Are you, is that a strategy on their part so they get more in debt? Or is that actually a reward? Do they feel good about it? Should we feel good about it? I always feel rewarded by it, but I also know even as a transactor on my cards that I just, I pay off the balance and we never reach the limit. They still keep increasing my credit line with those. And I have a feeling they're trying to, to get me to a point where, oh, I could buy a car with this. <laughs> and, and then I can't pay it off. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great question, and I'm going to answer it probably very specifically, but then what, I, what I'd what propose to do is I think it'd be a good time to kind of also take a step back and talk about the things that do impact a credit, because as we talk about these different strategies that are can be incredibly beneficial to you, whether it's building credit, getting rewards, getting cash back, all these things that we can talk about, if you don't do it, as you said in your opening comment, wisely and don't understand how credit works, it can bite you in the tail very fast and and yeah. and, and hurt you, which is a lot of what we're doing today in Rick's business and my business and IDIQ in general, right? So the, the a credit line increase is a good thing for numerous reasons. One, you're right. What, it, what it's intended to do, sure, it's to incent you to spend more. But the reality is if you use it to your advantage and you build the right credit building strategies, credit utilization is the number two variable that impacts your credit score. It's 30% of what your credit score is made up of. And so let's just say that your credit line was $500 and you were spending $200 a month. And now you're at, for lack of a better term, 40% utilization. The, the kind of that magic level is about a 30% utilization that's an unwritten rule. And so by not changing your spending behaviors, if now that by you paying on time every month and the credit card issuer increases that line to a thousand, that same spending habit that was at 40% is now 20%, right? 200 off yeah. of a thousand dollar credit line. That's advantageous for you. And so using these credit line increases one if the institution gives it to you that's a good thing as long as you have the right controls in place not to change your spending habits number one and so you've got to know yourself and stay within those limits and two every six months to the extent a credit card issuer doesn't offer you that increase another unwritten rule is don't hesitate to reach out to your issue and ask them for an increase and oftentimes if you've paid on time and these other credit variables as you're building up your score, they'll issue you that increase. Yeah. And, you know, next thing you know, you know, depending on your income levels, you've got a 
your utilization levels can stay in check based on that spending habit and, and getting those uh, those lines increased. So the big lesson there is don't transition to spending 400 bucks in, yeah. in that, in that. Scenario. 100%. <laughs> your budget is your budget. Yeah. Your budget's yeah. your budget. And if you can, if you have the controls to do that, then take that line increase, consider it a reward, but do not change your hat, your, your spending behaviors in proportion to that line increase, or you're going to have the same issue. All right. So let, let's, let's back up a little bit then. And, and, you know, what makes a, uh, responsible credit card user or, a, you know, or use, you know, someone that uses their credit cards wisely. If I have a balance that I maintain and I'm paying the minimum every month or just above the minimum, is that make me a responsible credit card user um, versus somebody that doesn't do that? Or what makes me a responsible credit card user versus somebody that that's not? If, if you're okay, what I'd like to do is maybe start with giving the foundation of what makes up the foundationally your credit score. Yeah. Because that then impacts the answer. And, you know, really focused on your question of does that make me responsible or not responsible or less responsible? And then I'll address that. Um, I think the best the best part, Jeff, right now is that you can't see Rick and I. And <laughs> and so the faces that we make. Yeah. You don't get to, yeah, you don't you get don't to get enjoy, to enjoy them. them. <laughs> <laughs> but I think this is great. Yeah. But I can see everything else about you guys. Just. <laughs> That's true. I'm looking down at you with my camera. You're like, you're like the Wizard of Oz right yeah, that's now. Right. <laughs> this may be the only time in my career I get to look down on you guys. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, so there's there's really five core categories that that comprise your credit score. The first and most important is your payment history. That makes up 35% of your score. And that that's really built on a couple things. One is making your payments on time and two, not missing payments, which I'll come back to that because that ties into the question that you asked. The second is what we just discussed, which is the amount you owe or more kind of technically referenced as your credit utilization. And that makes up about 30% of your score. The big kind of core strategies there is, you know, one, paying your card in full each month, which ties into your question as well. Um, two, and the amounts that you owe as a percent of available credit that you're using compared to your total available credit. And like I mentioned, the unwritten rule is about 30%, staying below that threshold. The third category, and these are in, in areas of ranking as far as their impact on your score, is the length of your credit history, which makes up about 15% of your score. The, and it, again, this all kind of comes back full circle in what we were talking about with your sons and, and younger individuals or individuals that are trying to build their credit for the first time. It's, you know, start early. It's, you know, there's there's no time that's too early to start building your credit. And so, you know, I think building the, the habits when you're in high school by being an authorized user is is great. So before they get to college and they have all this independence, and maybe, you know, there's things that, you know, 
midnight, like a pizza or beer or other things that they want, maybe aren't a wise purchase that they're just going to go out and start accruing and not paying attention to. So learning these habits early is, is key. And then by doing that, you're now also establishing that, that credit history earlier and the length of credit is super important. Um, the, you know, as, as you start doing this and looking at accounts, I think something else that you mentioned, Mike, and again, like I said, it comes full circle in your opening statements, was about one of your issuers canceling your cards. So as right. you start opening these accounts, one of the things there's there's some important tips is that people don't think about on the front end that it can bite you in the tail on the back end. The first is thinking about the accounts that have fees. Because what I've seen often happen is you get into a situation that the benefits appear to be great. Sorry, guys, my uh, my light in this office turns off automatically. I forgot about that. Uh, can you fix that in post editing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just fix that Do we need it. to clap again? Yeah. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> um, shoot, I'm going to try to go back to where I was. The You're talking about a credit card being uh, canceled. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, what will happen is you got to be mindful when you open up a new card about those benefits versus the expense. Because if you open up a credit card that has fees, even though the benefits are great, well, fast forward two, three, four years or whatever that time period may be. And now all of a sudden, you don't want to cancel that card, which is can hurt your length of the credit history because it could be your longest standing outstanding card, but now you're stuck in a situation where you've got these fees and you're really torn. Do I cancel this card or do I not? Right. And you don't want to be in that situation or what you ideally don't want to do is cancel a card. You just want to stop using it, you know, cut it up, put it in a drawer if you don't have a purpose for it. But if you have fees, it puts you in a very difficult situation. So you got to think about some of these things up front and the type of cards you have. A quick tangent on that specific detail, if you get into a, in a situation where you have a card that has fees and you don't want to continue paying those fees, instead of canceling the card, make sure ideally you're working with an issuer that has different card options. And if you approach them, a lot of times they'll have different tiers of the same card and you can downgrade to a version of that card that doesn't have fees. Maybe there's lesser benefits, but who cares? And now all of a sudden you can keep that card open, don't have that fee commitment, and you haven't killed your length of credit history because you're not canceling the card. Yeah, that's great. And it doesn't change your account number or, or establish a new line of credit. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. So it's a really important tip to, you know, to, to remember. The, the other thing is, you know, you get into the situation and it could be like the three of us. And we've obviously had established credit for a long time. And and we have a, a very full credit file, but there's a lot of individuals that have a thin credit file, especially when they're building their credit. Maybe they don't have four credit cards and they don't have 20 plus years of established credit. All they have is this one card. Well, yeah. changing we're that old. card. <clears throat> yeah. Pardon me? Meaning that we are old. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so canceling that card has a much greater impact as well on your file because that's your only established line of credit. So again, yeah. there's so many different factors that you you need to think about when you're kind of looking at this. So anyway, length of credit history, like I said, is 15% of your credit. And what you're trying to do is establish 
different forms of credit and make sure that you can keep them as long as you can because it does impact your your uh, your score in a pretty pretty dramatic way. Um, the, the fourth category is credit mix, and that's about 10% of your credit score. And that's really comprised of the type of credit you have, which goes into what I just mentioned or evolves into that, where there's essentially two general types of credit. You have revolving and installment. Revolving would be your, and I think that ties into almost the, your opening comment of asking what, you know, Mike, you know, kind of style of payments were, Rick. But this is more specific around the type of credit card. So a, re, a revolving line is more things like credit cards. And an installment loan, the best way to think of it is, is loans that are for your cars, your homes, personal loans that have an established payment every month and don't vary based on um, you're paying down an established line versus something that you're you're using transactionally every month and then paying a random amount down every month that varies. So. Uh, the the fifth category is new credit, and that's about 10% of your credit score. And, and this ties into this strategy that we're talking about as well. Um, because what you don't want to do is a, a, the, the credit bureaus will look down on you from a credit score perspective if you open a lot of new credit all at once. And there's rules that will necessarily won't get into right now about whether you're looking for a auto loan versus a home loan and how many inquiries you can get in a defined period of time. But when we're talking about credit cards, every single time you apply for a new credit card, you're getting a hard inquiry. That's a bad thing. So the rule of thumb that I've always used is don't open more than one credit line every six months. And so, you know, and if you're looking to buy a car, if you're looking to get a new mortgage, just make sure you're planning well in advance of those events, not to open anything new six months prior, because that new credit impact will essentially wean off from an adverse perspective within about six months. So generally, those are the five categories as we talk about these tips and tricks and strategies that if you don't understand these basics and how credit works, all these strategies essentially could be meaningless because they could actually cause more harm than good if you don't do them, understand them and use them wisely. Yeah, that's great. So would a strategy be if you need a quick boost in your credit to call your creditor up and ask for an increase in credit line? Yeah, so to the extent, but now this ties into that last category as well, you can also, what you're probably going to trigger is an inquiry from that creditor where they're going to look at your credit at the time of that line increase. If it's not in, if it's not initiated by the creditor themselves, where they've already done whatever they're doing internally to evaluate that credit risk and offer you that line, if you reach out to them, oftentimes you're going to trigger an inquiry and that six-month rule. But the short answer is yes. Yeah. As you can see, there's all these different impacts and things that you just need to be mindful of. It's not linear. There's There's a lot of different things that if you're not aware of them and how they work, like I said, you can use them to your advantage, but they can also bite you unintentionally. Yeah, but <clears throat> you, you're right. It's not linear, but you, if the opportunity is to have a higher limit on your credit card, which is 35% of your score, 
versus another inquiry on your credit report, which is which comprises 10% of your score, you might be better off. If if the, you do have good payment history, then it might be better off to take that risk and get that get that higher limit so that you have a better utilization ratio. Right. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Right. But yep. but don't try to open three new credit lines at the same time. Right. You just right. do that once within that six month period. And again, that 30% impact is obviously yes greater than the 10 so 100 percent you should do that yep and it, but but rick the thing that i would say is it's not necessarily going to be instantaneous impact so you've got to look you know if you're applying for a mortgage the next week and you've got to take into account your score may go down before it goes up with right. that strategy that you just said so timing is also important knowing what you have in front of you that it's not just this quick instantaneous impact that's going to increase your score necessarily right right there's always a lot of factors so yeah there's there's just so many factors so i forgot mike there was a question you asked that i said i'd come back to after i went through <laughs> <laughs> it was uh i totally forgot what it was too <laughs> <laughs> What a, so, I mean, I do have another question as we're going through this, like, because obviously credit cards have come a long way since like Diners Club and, and some of those original credit cards that, that people were using. And the whole credit industry is there's so many different uh, different things that go into your credit mix, uh, as you indicated. So it's, it's become this really confusing industry. Um, and the way that credit card points and rewards and things like that, uh, you know, work also adds a whole nother layer of complexity. So as a college student, you're going to get bombarded by different offers and, um, especially from like department stores and, and places like that. Do you find value at all in, uh, in the department stores like Kohl's? My wife sometimes lives on Kohl's cash because she can go in, she can buy something with her Kohl's card. We pay it off, but she gets all this, all these Kohl's cash that she can go back and buy a bunch of other, you know, socks and. That's because Kohl's knows that most people don't pay. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but is it is that like a pitfall to watch out for, or is that? Um, I've always been a. Or are they totally just being a nice, cards. a nice company? Yeah. Well, these store cards get you in trouble real fast. That's why I'm asking. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great topic of conversation yeah. that we could spend probably a couple hours having a, a lot of fun talking about. The let's break this maybe even to a couple different categories. One, you you mentioned the student, and I don't know about you guys, but when I went to school, you'd walk by the the student union. And there was always some table out there and somebody saying, hey, open yep. this credit card and we're going to give you a T-shirt or a sweatshirt or a hoodie or a mug or whatever the hell it was. You're like, hell yeah, I want, you know, I want some swag. I'm going to I'm going to take it. And next thing you know, the, you know, the student tracking up thousands of dollars in debt, their credit scores hell before they even knew what a credit score was. And it's a problem. So when you're a student. Stay away 100% from those offers is the, my best advice because they're probably just going to get you in trouble because you That's don't right. understand what you're getting into. And oftentimes you're probably getting a 30% interest rate or some trigger that, you know, if you are 
one day late, it triggers going from the teaser rate from 2%, 3%, 5% to 30 something percent. And again, it just gets you in trouble really quick. So there's that part of it. The second part, which is around the department store, and those generally speaking are not the best credit card options. However, I lied because I've got five, not four, because I do have a Kohl's credit card myself. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I I get the benefit with the Kohl's cash and all that. And what I would say is that's almost the, the department store credit cards typically offer very little value. There's some percent off, you know, save 10% on your first purchase today. Those are the worst offers ever. Stay away from them unless, you know, you've got this strategy where it's within that six month window. You got this, you know, thousand dollar plus purchase and you're going to cancel that card after you use it one time that's you know if you want to make that choice do it i still don't recommend it because most people are going to forget about it and then they're going to use it and overspend there's other ones that the like the coals where they have these reoccurring benefits for a for a what i would call a more sophisticated or budget conscious credit card user Adding that to your arsenal of cards is a good strategy, and you can you can use that to your advantage wisely only for those respective transactions, pay it off immediately, and, and the benefits are pretty material, as you just said. But again, most of the department store credit cards, it's a one-time small discount. Just stay away from them. Use the other rewards cards or whatever you may have in your arsenal of cards and avoid them at all costs. Yeah, and the, the tricky thing with those is always you're in in the checkout line you know yeah, you could save 25% on your you know you have $400 worth of stuff sitting there you know you can save 20% now and then just close it but you don't close it is is i think what happens that's and what it, happens. that's what they're counting on that's what happens yep otherwise they yeah. wouldn't offer that that's right <laughs> there's a reason why they offer those great discounts where they where they can help you. Let's think of like a home improvement store. Yeah. And you know, sometimes you you're a Lowe's or a Home Depot or something like that and you've got you're remodeling your kitchen and you've got a mega purchase. Yeah. There's there's a handful of strategies that you can use those cards for that you can save a lot of money if you have that discipline and you're using the balance transfer options. Again, we're getting to more complex types of credit card strategies low to no interest rates for periods of time, getting to the balance transfer strategies. These types of things on large purchases can be incredibly advantageous, dangerous, because if you don't make a payment, I'll explain some things, it can trigger retroactive interest from the time you open that card and spent that money that can be you know, devastating for a lot of individuals as well. So Absolutely. we we can dive into some of those if you'd like, but it's if you're smart, you can save a ton of money. But like I said, they're dangerous unless you've got incredible control over your budget, your spend and what you can and cannot do. Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, a, a strategy that that I've heard from from some people is, you know, you you really can live off of other people's money by utilizing some of these strategies because you have those credit cards, um, especially like Home Depot. Home Depot, you can go six months on zero interest. And so if you're able to maintain that, you can essentially 
just keep shifting things around and buying things with these different low, low or no interest credit cards and be living off of other people's of other people's money or the bank's money at that point and and try to use that as a strategy but i just don't know that everyone has the discipline to do that it takes a ton of organization right you have to be you have to be mindful of your balances and your and your statement dates uh just constantly it, it takes a ton of discipline to be able to do that yeah I mean, yeah, let me let me give you an example of something that I did, and I would consider myself a very budget conscious, credit conscious individual with an 800 plus credit score. And it still took a lot of discipline for me to do this. I had a, a very large purchase that I made. Um, it was in the just it was well into the tens of thousands of dollars. But this could be for anybody on a relative basis. It could be a thousand plus dollars. And I was offered a no interest rate, 12 month initially um, option to pay that way. And and so I said, you know what, why not? It gives me 12 months to kind of figure this out and what I'm going to do. I ended up stretching this for three and a half years, and I'll explain how and never paid a single penny of interest and paid that debt off in that amount of time. So. To Rick's point, there's always options available where there's two big considerations, 0% interest teaser rates. They could be for three months, six months, all the way up to about 18 months, typically. Mm-hmm. And there's proportional things where you got to look at. The second piece of that is, is there a interest fee for that balance transfer? So you could have, there's three components that you have to think about. One what is the interest rate or teaser rate for a period of time? Be mindful of what that converted interest rate looks like. Two, is there a fee for that card? And three, what is the the interest rate charged on a balance transfer that you're going to move potentially over to a new line? So in my example, let's just say it was $5,000. That first month, made a payment every month. You've got to have that kind of discipline. So you're paying it down. You've got to be mindful of your credit utilization. You've got to be mindful of opening new credit, all these factors we talked about. If I then open up a new line with a teaser rate and you have to do it about 30 days in advance of that expiration of that first line, and the, the most important reason why, if that line's not approved, up and running and active, and you transfer that initial balance one day past that teaser rate date, you're now responsible for that, what, that interest rate that I said, that kind of hidden interest rate right. of, let's say it's 30% for that entire 12 months that you thought was free. Right. You've now triggered it. I don't think people understand that. You should... You should say that one more time. Okay. I think that's like a key thing to say. So the, just that last point or the scenario? Yeah. yeah about, the about point the... that if you pay one day late, you're responsible for the entire 12 months that you were at a 0%. Yep. So teaser rates are super intriguing, sexy, right? You're like, Hey, they're an allure to go in and get something and not pay interest on it. Well, the, most people don't read those terms and conditions of how those work. Um, you know, 
I'm pretty detail oriented. Sometimes that's a strength. Sometimes it's a weakness. But when you when you look at those terms, one of the biggest things is you have literally 12 months. Let's say that the teaser rate was for 12 months. If it's for six months, it's six months. It's all relative. If in that 12 month scenario, if you don't pay that balance in full, I don't think I said that clearly the first time by that date. You are now responsible for that entire interest that would have accrued at that higher interest rate in your terms and conditions. And oftentimes it's north of 25, 30%. Right. So what you thought was zero, it's accruing interest. And if you look at your statement, it will actually show you that accrued interest, but you're not responsible for paying it as long as you pay that total debt off by that last day. If it goes over, that accrued interest now is your responsibility. And they're not going to waiver on that because that's how they're getting you. So what you have to do if in paying that off, if you don't have the resources to pay that off, whatever's remaining at that cutoff date, you have to have a new line, ideally in a teaser rate, no interest rate, no fees, no balance transfers. They're out there if you look. And you have to have that opened and that transfer completed. And oftentimes there's a 15 day transfer period in paying off an existing balance by a new car. That's that 30 day buffer to make sure you're taking into account. And then you roll that to a new line. And if it's a large purchase, like I did, you can kind of roll it for multiple years and just be smart. But again, there's a ton of risk if you do that and you don't have the capacity to pay that off or have a new line that you can get approved for that you can roll these into without that accrued interest. Does that? It's a very intricate strategy <laughs> <laughs> to be able to roll over into multiple teaser rates over the course of three and a half years when it's supposed to be 12 months. That, that takes a lot of discipline and a lot of planning, <laughs> but, it but, does, I guess it, but it, but it saved, honestly, it saved in my scenario, about $18,000 of it. I'm sure it saved a ton yeah. of money. Yeah. And you got to pay it off three years later. So I took three and a half years and I just made a payment with discipline every month. And I had that strategy from the get go. So there are strategies out there. It's not gaming the system. It's fully legal, but oh, it is sure. utilizing the system to your benefit. If you understand how credit works, how these terms and conditions work, you can save a ton of money, but you better you better have discipline in doing it. So, so where go ahead. Where I think maybe we should head, um, given our time, is let's talk about maybe uh, some pitfalls that people run into. But I think where I I'm most interested is like if if I am a responsible credit card user, how do I utilize these point systems, rewards, and things like that to really get the most value, which I know that that's, that's where you and I have, have talked about this stuff for a long time. And I know that you've got that down and <laughs> you've taught me a lot. I now use these strategies. So I, I think others will, uh, will appreciate this, this portion of our podcast today. Rick, you're going to learn. Thanks. I can't <laughs> wait. <laughs> Yeah, this this is the fun part, right? It's um it's it's putting the benefits of these cards to to work for you. And it it really depends on first what you like to do. And I think that's important. If you like to travel, 
there's so many incredible options out there with travel benefit cards, whether it's with hotel brands, airlines, rental cars. A lot of them have partnered. You can double, used to be able to triple dip. Um, there's other ones like American Express where you have a point system based on your dollar spend that you can apply to all of them. And I mean, there's just a ton of options. So if you like to travel, we'll get into that in a minute and I'll talk about some strategies. If you have no interest in traveling, but you like rewards, you like to get access to discounts or concerts or other benefit shows, there's rewards that provide you access to those types of events, like through Capital One and Citibank and others. Chase, they have a lot of unique options for rewards checking or credit cards. There's also the ones that are cash back. If you have no interest in either of those and you're just saying, you know what, I want to feel like I'm getting some discount for all the money that I'm spending every week or month. And it's, you know, it's kind of a hidden re, you know, check that I get back every every month to make me feel less bad about how much I spent. There's a ton of cashback options out there and they have varying degrees of percents based on where you spend that money. So some are focused on groceries and retail shopping. Others are on, um, I mean, gas, you, you name it. If you look, you can get cashback rewards on different percentages from one to six to seven. They have you know, different rates that they offer on different services that you use in your daily routines. So those are the three kind of big ones that I would say. Um, my favorite, which I, I can talk a lot about, is the travel side, um, just because that's, I mean, I, I use that to um, pay for all levels of hotels, um, airline flights across the world, upgrades on flights, rental cars. You can use it for not only upgrades in on the like hotel rooms or the class of service on your flights, you can also uh, use that for um, uh, you get uh, access to their clubs. There's just there's a, a slew of benefits. And if you're mindful of which card you use, what's crazy is each of them offer some unique benefits. I'll give you an example. I'm an American Airlines frequent flyer traveler and, you know, and I have points with all the airlines. But what you try to do is concentrate that spend where it's going to maximize that value or benefit for you. So try it if you have an American airline, if you fly on American Airlines a lot, get an American Airlines respective credit card and there's different levels and fees and benefits can be incredibly advantageous. First, and there's so many areas to kind of layers to dissect. The first is what are the rewards and benefits they give you for signing up? And there's always some benefit. Let's say the airlines may offer you 25,000, 50,000, 75,000 miles just for signing up. And maybe that first year fee is $100. And then there may be a, well, you have to spend a dollar or you have to spend $3,000 in order to get this benefit. Look at all these factors. But the reality is if you're going to get 75,000 miles and it's going to cost you $100 in the fee in the first year, pretty darn good deal because that 75,000 miles can buy you one, two or three plane tickets, depending where you're going. And it costs you $100. It's a great strategy. Um, if you, if you, you know, look at again, 
the credit cards for respective airline or hotel brand, you know, and this is where my credit card strategy comes into play. I, I'm a big Bonvoy uh, hotel person. Bonvoy has everything from Marriott to Weston's to Ritz-Carlton's to, I mean, there's probably 20 plus different brands now. It gives you a ton of options. Be consistent with where you stay, accrue those points. It counts towards your nights. You get extra bonus nights. You get extra value. You get upgrades. You get status in their rewards programs. And then if you do this wisely, you know, you, you look at how do you get the most bang for your buck and even then using those points. And it's, you know, you can look at the dollar that a room would cost or a flight would cost compared to how many points it takes. And then there's a whole strategy that you can deploy in getting the maximum value for that which typically, you know, could be an international hotel room or flight if you travel that way, could be domestic, but really learn if, you know, if it's going to cost you 25,000 points to get a hotel room and that room in general, maybe that room could cost you $100, but you could use that same 25,000 points to get a room that's costing $500, be mindful of where you're using those points as well. So kind of the backtrack, think about trying to stay loyal to certain brands, get credit cards for those brands that you use frequently, make sure you're looking at the rewards points and get the best time of the rewards that they're offering to sign up. Use those respective cards with those brands. So for example, with the American Airlines card, I'm buying my American Airlines plane tickets with that card or where I get the optimal points for that card. When I go to a Bonvoy property, I have a, a card with Chase for Bonvoy, and I use that card religiously to pay for those hotels. And again, so the types of cards you have, again, building them up as we discussed over time the right way, once per six months, building that arsenal of cards for the brands that you're loyal to, and then using those cards specifically targeted when you're spending money at those brands that gives you the optimal point or bonus points. I, I'm sitting on, you know, be honest, I've got over well over a million points in hotel loyalty points, in airline loyalty points, and I can now use those with discretion. And I often now don't have to pay for much of my travel expenses because I'm using them for hotel rooms, for my personal flights, for my rental cars. And there's an incredible strategy that you can deploy if you're just smart with the type of credit you have how you use it, who you're spending it with. And again, travel points are awesome. Yeah, it's always impressive going into a hotel, especially a Marriott with you. And they <laughs> they start, they snap their fingers. People come out with champagne. <laughs> you always get the uh, get on some secret level that you need to swipe a card for that has like a buffet and food. Um you should use he points for the lighting system yeah. in your office. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the one of the keys, though, you're you're making a joke about it, but the truth is, a lot of people don't spend enough money on their credit cards to get that level of um, uh, of engagement when it comes to points and and rewards. So that you mentioned loyalty, that that ends up being key. You gotta you gotta pick one. Because it, there might not be enough money to make a big difference and move the needle on if you're like trying to get hotel points and, and airline points and then also rewards yeah. points to buy, you know, some like Apple product. But um, if you pick one, then 
you'll be able to get enough going to where you can actually see some of that benefit because yeah, that's, that's a lot of money to be. So would yeah. you would you then say instead of instead of using your debit card at places um, to make that purchase, use these credit cards uh, for that that point and then be what Rick called a transactor and and make sure that's paid off. It seems like it might defeat the purpose if you don't pay it off every month. Is that a hundred percent? Um, and so there's, there's a couple great points you said, and I'm glad you highlighted it. Rick one, you're right. You've, you've got to be smart with that spend. So you're getting that, that benefit and you're not doing this for 10 years and not seeing anything because you're not traveling much. So that's why I pick those rewards that are, that work for you and then be loyal to them to build it up to a meaningful level. In parallel, Mike, you're right. When you start traveling or spending money on these types of things, the, the amount of money adds up super fast. When you do that, if you don't pay it in full, the exposure goes up exponentially. And I think this was that item that you mentioned that I said we defer and then never came back to, which is you know paying a balance off in full versus right. not. There's the worst thing you can ever do is carrying a balance. Because, you know, there's there's three different levels from a simplicity perspective. There's the level of the transactor that that spends and pays it off every month. There's the next individual that they they're responsible from a credit perspective because they make their minimum payment every month on time. So they're not having an adverse impact on their credit score. But from a from a debt perspective. They may never get out of that hole on the interest that they're paying. I just had a conversation with my son, who's, like I mentioned, has got a, a great credit score last week on this on this very topic. And he recently moved and he'd been spending money and I wasn't aware of this, but he was carrying a balance and he was paying it all. He was he was making his minimum payment every month. And I asked him how much it was. He said it was a few thousand dollars. And I'm like, what's your interest rate? He's like, I don't know. I'm like, well, that's pretty important. I go, how much interest are you spending on that $3,000 are they charging you every month? And he said, it's about $175 a month in just interest. Whoa. It was 30%, but he was unaware of that. And that's the challenge of most people. So even though he was making his minimum payment every month and his credit score wasn't being impacted, he couldn't get out of the hole that he was already creating for himself. And that's that problem. So kind of tying this back full circle, Right. At least doing that is better than not paying. Pay something and pay it on time. Pay yeah. your minimum. But don't get into a situation where you're spending more than you can afford because all these strategies of getting these points and getting these benefits to, I think, what you said, Rick, you will absolutely um, ruin that benefit because of the extra money that you're spending in interest super fast. Yeah, all the points in the world will never make up for a high interest rate. No. Doesn't, no doesn't matter how many points or rewards you get if you're paying interest on that. On that, it's it, it'll never make it up. Yeah, yeah. So with the few minutes that we have left, Jeff, what do you feel like if you know the five takeaway points that that people listening should should have? Don't be afraid of credit. Oh. Cr credit is really important for you. Most people wait too long to realize I need credit 
to enact the right credit building strategies to prepare them to take advantage of opportunities that could involve basic things like qualifying for rent, buying a home, buying a car, necessities like that. Start thinking about it and preparing now and do it wisely. But while you're doing it and doing it wisely, think about the benefits that you can get, like we talked about in this in this podcast, of you can get all kinds of rewards or benefits or savings if you're smart about it. So understand the type of credit that you're getting into, especially with credit cards. Understand the terms and conditions. Don't just sign up for something because it looks like it's a great deal on the front end. Know what the risks are if you don't pay. Know what these interest rates are. Know what the, the, the risk is that if you don't pay this payment in full every month, oftentimes I'm gonna add a point here, you may have a teaser rate that is 5%, 7%, something that appears very attractive up front. And what you don't see is that if you don't make that payment one time by that due date, even if it's not technically delinquent as reported to the credit bureaus, it automatically triggers an increase of your rate to a rate that's often north of 30%. Yeah. So you got to know these terms and conditions in the credit that you're signing up for and know how they work and know what the impacts and the risks are and do this wisely. Know that don't open too much credit within a defined period of time. Know these factors that impact your credit. And if you just come up with a basic plan and do it the right way, it can be incredibly advantageous. It can prepare you for the future and opportunities that you may have that if you don't have good credit, you may not be able to take advantage of such as buying a house or something that you want to do or need to do or buying a car because you're not going to qualify. The what I would recommend is again, you know, not to toot our own horns, but you know, companies like ours, we have great resources and too often times we're not educating individuals or providing the resources that people need or they're not taking the time to learn. This is one of those examples. It can really hurt you. Take some time use a service like ours, look at the educational content that we have, ask questions. If you don't want to do that, ask somebody who you can trust that understands how credit works before you just start going and embarking and opening things and getting yourself in trouble. Yeah, I, th I really love what you said about not being afraid of, of credit cards. I think a lot, a lot of people in, in that debt-free um, space really preaching and teaching de the debt-free lifestyle. They make a lot of great points, but the the main thing that they say is take scissors to the credit cards um, right away. And you know it's not feasible for people to always do that. But there's a, so many benefits to using a credit card. I think it's better to teach someone the right way to do this and to be responsible versus let's just take it away from you so that you don't have the temptation. A hundred percent. It's the easy way out. Right. Um, and, and it's, but again, you're going to, you're not going to have good established credit and there's going to be a need for credit at some point in your life. Right. 99% of people in society can't afford to buy a house with cash. You got to right. have credit and the expense you're going to incur of a higher interest rate because your credit score is not good or for a car, right? It's risk-based lending, it's real. 
And so you've got to use build credit, use it wisely, or again, it's going to cost you more money. So yeah, the debt-free lifestyle sounds great and altruistic. It's not real for most people, but you can't be afraid of it. You just got to, you just got to learn the discipline and be smart. Like any normal budgeting process that doesn't need to be complex. You just need to know what you're getting into and be smart about it. And if you're smart about it, there's lots of rewards and advantages on the backside like we were just talking about as well. That's right. Wow, that was a great episode. If you enjoyed this and want more, make sure to hit that subscribe button so you won't miss out on future topics. Follow us on all your favorite social platforms for bonus content and behind the scenes fun. Thanks for joining us on this journey towards financial empowerment. Until next time, stay tuned, stay savvy, and see you next time on IDIQ Labs.